last week we we finished on Hebrews chapter five, and you can sense that maybe uh, I might be a little frustrated by that, but the, the truth of the matter is, is I'm not. I used to be. I used to get frustrated about it. But now it's just I'm supposed to just teach it. I just teach it and it is what it is. And what I'm talking about is at the end of chapter 5, this is what he says. We don't know who the author is of Hebrews. But he's literally writing to, he's writing to Jews that believed Jesus was the Messiah. Which was, just didn't happen back then. There was a limited number of people, of Jews, that came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But the Pharisees were always teaching them, no, he's not the Messiah, he's not the Messiah, and you need to keep doing what we've always done, going to the temple, sacrificing animals, asking for the covering of sin. And so these Christian Jews were getting hammered by those who were just the solid Jews and saying, come back to the temple, come back to the temple, come back to the temple. And so the writer of this letter of Hebrews is basically saying, stick to what you know, what you've been told. Uh, But here's what he said at the end of chapter 5. We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain, since you have become too lazy to understand Although by this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. I'm taking these adults to camp, and they're teaching. They're teaching classes to your campers uh, Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, and they have got some great material for your students. It says, you need someone to teach teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. You can sense that I may be frustrated, like, why isn't everybody on meat? Why are some of you still on milk? Why 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 isn't everybody out here teaching? It's not up to me. It doesn't matter to me. This is... This is your journey. I, I think that uh, as parents, <laughs> as parents, we always want our kids to be where we are. Like, to be mature, to be educated, to think like we think, to process like we process. We want them to be there. And I want my, my junior high and high school students to do the same thing. But they're not going to be there. They're not going to be there. I can remember uh, back in 2001, I was on a sabbatical and just sitting in my chair and wanting to be like my mom, who got up every morning and prayed for, she prayed for everybody. She prayed for people in this room. She just, I wanted to be spiritually mature like my mom. But then it got to a point where, like, no, this is my journey. This is my journey and the things that I've learned and the things that I've processed over the years. Uh, I'm thankful for where I am and that I continue to grow. And I pray the same thing for you and for your students. So I'm not frustrated. It's just where we are. And then we get into Hebrews chapter 6 and he says this. 
Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. We're encouraged to grow spiritually. And this confirms, that statement right there, confirms that he wrote this letter to believers. Like those who believed in Jesus. He says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now why does he say that? Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, because the temple sacrifices that they were encouraging these Christians to do, that was all part of the law. That was under the law. Temple sacrifices in their own right were dead works. Why were they dead works? Because Jesus has already like died on the cross at this point, and he's already taken care of the sin issue. There's no reason to go back to the temple. And we all know that since 70 AD, they haven't gone back to the temple because the temple's no longer standing. The Romans came in and destroyed it. And he's like, get past this. Quit talking about things that are unimportant. Stay focused. I, uh, I think I said this last week, but I grew up Southern Baptist uh, and uh, went to seminary, Baptist school, and uh, worked at a Baptist church, and then I left in 2007. But I look now, and uh, Keith texted me yesterday, and he goes, are you seeing this? conversation between Rick Warren and Al Mohler. Al's the president at Southern Seminary and Rick's the pastor out. And Rick ordained a woman as a pastor. And the whole Southern Baptist Convention is like voting on whether it's a mess. And it's, it's like, really? This is, what we're, this is what we're going to talk about? It's, it's the same thing that this guy is like saying. He's like, can you guys move on? To like the things that are really important? Really? He says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. And then he says, faith in God. Like, can you get past the faith in God? Let me tell you where faith comes from. In Romans 12, verse 3, it says this. Watch this. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Where does your faith come from? It comes from God. What you believe about God comes from God. Now, it's obviously got to line up with Scripture because I guarantee you I'm going to go this week and those kids are going to have their opinion of who God is. And it's going to be a personal opinion. But it's got to line up with the Word has to match with the word. They wanted to walk away from their faith, these Hebrew Christians did, and go back to, go back to what the Jews were encouraging them to do just so they could escape the, the persecution of this group of people. And he's saying, no, don't do that. You, you realize you don't have the ability to put faith on and off. It's just one of those things that you have. And then he says this, teaching about ritual washings. In 1 Peter 3, 21, it says, baptism, which corresponds to this, 
now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not baptism that saves you, but it's the act of you believing in Jesus as the Messiah, and you go out and say, hey, look, I made a profession of faith that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My old life is put to death. Now I have this new life in Christ. He's like, you, you've already shown them what you believe. You've shown the Jews what you believe. So let's move on past this. And then he says, the laying on of hands, still practicing law by deciding what was to be commissioned to do certain acts. Who gets to do what? That's kind of what they're arguing about in the convention is like, who's able to lay hands on people and pray for them and to lead them and to teach them? Get past this. Move beyond this. Stay focused on what you know. Then he says, the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were a group of leaders, religious leaders, that didn't even believe in the resurrection. Yet, this is like 30-some-odd years after Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. He came back here. He came back here on earth, and 500 people saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. There's actual witnesses that walked the earth. Yet, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. It's like, come on, stay focused. John... uh, and then he says, in, and eternal judgment. God will judge every person without Christ. If you are with Christ, don't worry about that judgment. Because Jesus already took care of it. John 3.36 says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The everyday question that people ask is, how can God let people go to hell? How can he let them go to hell? Well, he gave us a free will. It's like, he didn't, he didn't make me marry Michelle. He didn't. He gave me the free will to choose Michelle. If he made me love Michelle, I could not love her as much as I do today. I choose to love Michelle every day. And it's the same way with God. If he made me love him, what good is that? But I choose to love God every day. And so, therefore, it's that everyday question, how can he let people, because he gave us a free choice. He gave us a free will. He's like, you can choose me or you can choose yourself. That's really what it comes down to. And then verse 3, it says, and he will do this if God permits. Believers have a choice to continue in their daily ruts or to move on. To move on. And we're always going to encourage you to move on. It will be God who permits it to do so through the grace that he supplies. Remember that I always said, you know, grace is the ability to have salvation. And that's what people generally recognize grace as. But the truth of the matter is, is I get grace every day. It's going to be grace for me to get on that bus eight hours and drive and to do camp all week. What's the grace? God's ability in me. God doing it in me. That's the grace that I have every day that I get to experience. And it's going to be an adventure. 
I'm a testament of that, and so are you. I mean, honestly, if you look back at the past and measure where you are right now, just think about where you are right now as compared to the past. You're growing, hopefully chewing on some meat, understanding that you have eternal security. question is, can, can you lose your salvation? We'll get to that here in just a second. It says, watch this, verse 4. This is big. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened. Once enlightened. Those who once believed. Those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Watch. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted, who consumed, who just like absorbed this thing, who tasted God's word. That's the the rima, the rima that has been revealed to them. It's been revealed to them, and they just consumed it. It says, the powers of the coming age. I'll read that. Oh, wait a second. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted. Now, uh, go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Jesus tasted death, the heavenly get, the gift who shared in the Holy Spirit. Only the believers did this. Who tasted God's word. It's been revealed to them. And the powers of the coming age. And who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm. They are re-crucifying the son of God. And holding them up to contempt. Can a believer walk away from their salvation? That's a question that people ask all the time. And some some denominations believe that they can actually lose their salvation because of this verse, for it is impossible to renew repentance for those who once tasted it and walked away. Here's what, what he's saying. It's impossible for us to re-crucify Christ. It's impossible. He died one time. He's not getting back up on the cross again. So therefore, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and he died for your sins, that he died on the cross, his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, it's a done deal. You can't like, no, I don't believe that anymore, and then come back into it. It's like, once you believe it, you believe it. Most of you know uh, the situation with my brother a year and a half ago. He uh, died by suicide but he struggled with his faith he struggled with his faith he came from an orphanage home uh, that was a Christian home and he was taught about Jesus my mom and dad adopted Curtis uh, when he was like four years old and he grew up he grew up in our Christian home my parents divorced and my mom raised us and my mom taught us about Jesus and I see pictures of Curtis praying and the Bible open and everything else and then at some point in his faith uh he's like yeah i don't believe that anymore i don't believe that anymore uh and as i went to the house after his death i sat down with his wife and his kids and said curtis believed he believed as a child 
there's no doubt in my mind that he's with Jesus now. Because you can't re-crucify Christ even if he came back to faith. Once that you believe, you have this eternal life given to you. There's, there's, times, there's times when we as believers are going to walk in our flesh. That means you just kind of like walk away from the whole thing and you do th- everything in your own strength. There's times when that happens. There's seasons when that happens. But it's not a question of you losing your salvation. It's just you not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus intended for you to have right here on this earth. Yeah, that's, that's really what we're talking about. You, you can walk in your flesh here. Let me know how that's working for you. He says there's a better way. He's like, if you just let me do it, just listen to my voice. I'll do it for you. You won't have to deal with all this other stuff. Yeah, you're still going to have to deal with sufferings and stuff like that. But if you just choose, choose to walk. So I never give up on people walking in their flesh. I don't always spend time with them. I don't always hang out with them. Because it's like, if you don't want what I'm selling, then okay, have at it. Have at it. You, you do your own. But when you're ready, we're standing here waiting for you. And that's really what he's saying to these Hebrew Christians is like, don't walk away. Don't walk away. I mean, and then, and then you, <laughs> this whole complication thing of like when people do walk by their flesh and they mess up and then the church is somewhat is judgmental towards them. Lord, help us if we are that way here. Let us not be that way. It's like, how many days do you have to wait? How many hoops do you have to jump through to receive forgiveness from the church? It shouldn't be that way. And he's talking about those that persevere, those that, that stay with the faith. The only thing that I can say about staying with the faith and persevering is this is come to know your identity in Jesus. We have on leavener.com 75 verses that identify you as a believer in Jesus Christ. John 1.12, I'm a child of God. John 15, I'm not reading them all. John 15.15, I'm Christ's friend. Romans 5.1, I've been justified, completely forgiven and made righteous, and I'm at peace with God. If, if you sit here and read that list... If you sit there and read that list, how can you not grasp what he's done for you and what he's made you? Nothing based upon what you've done, but what he's done in you. And the whole identity thing is important. 1 Corinthians six seventeen: I am joined to the Lord and we are one in spirit with him. Ephesians 1, 4, I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him. You're forgiven. He died one time. Colossians 2, 10, I have been made complete in Christ. 
All right, I pick it back up in Hebrews. Verse 7, it says, For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and, produce, and produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and at the end will be burned. This is about works. It's not about salvation. The subject matter is the ground and the vegetations and thistles. That's the byproduct. That's the byproduct of who we are. What is burnt? The byproduct. Anything that I do in my flesh, if I do camp this week in my flesh and it's all about me and everything else, it's going to be burnt up in the end. doesn't matter. If it's God doing it through me, if he's speaking through me and everything else, that's what matters. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The evil being the flesh, stuff that's burned up, the good just being rewarded. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Each one's works will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's works. Stuff you do in your flesh, your own strength, burnt. Stuff that God did through you, you just allowed him to do through you, in you, it lasts. Verse nine, verse 9, even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of the things that are better, confident that good fruit will be produced, and that pertain to salvation. Again, he's confirming to believers, he is confident they will walk in their identity if they choose maturity. Verse 10, for God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Oh, camp leaders, that's good for you to know this week. <laughs> now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't be lazy, but you will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. This is just a total encouragement for them to walk on as they already have. I mean, literally look back how you have already persevered. The things that you've gone through. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. That came from Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. Abraham lived a life of faith based upon the promises of a Messiah that was to come. Abraham didn't know Jesus at the time, but he knew God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior. You live in that promise after the Messiah. You're after the cross. You're already forgiven. He says, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. The promise to Abraham was unconditional. He would, not, he, would nullify, he would not nullify his promise. Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac, for Isaac to be born. Abraham is now the father of the Jewish nation. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. 
it was promised that Jesus would come through Abraham. Jesus was born a Jew as promised, and all that believe in Jesus are grafted in, Romans 4.13. Verse 16 says this, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. God could swear by no one greater than him. Yeah, I am. I am. Verse 17, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Jesus is our hope. I have one agenda at camp. I have one agenda at camp. It's Jesus. That's it. All other agendas don't matter to me. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the temple... There was this, this veil that the priest, the high priest, would go behind and he would make, take the sacrifice and offer up a covering of sin for all the people. The veil's been torn. When Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn. You don't need a high priest to go behind a curtain to receive forgiveness of sins. You receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And the fact is, you've already received it. He's, you can get down on your knees, ask for forgiveness tonight, but he's already dealt with your issue 2,000 years ago. You're forgiven. He made you holy. He made you righteous. He made you perfect. He loves you dearly. The temple is no longer needed. He's literally walked behind the veil, and he's the sacrifice. Now, guess what? You are that temple. I'm getting ready to take 49 temples with me to camp. And I choose to see him as a temple. This week. They're important. Every conversation is important. I don't take it lightly. I walk daily knowing Jesus is the forerunner of my life. And I'll have it no other way. Jesus, I have no idea what you have in store for us this week. But I absolutely trust you with all my heart. That um, you'll protect us, you'll keep us safe. You'll create some great memories, some great relationships, some great conversations. And may you be the only thing that matters this week.
not only at camp, but here in Indy as well. It's not just about camp. So, Lord, um, just watch over us and protect us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.